Galatians chapter 5 is where we are. We're in the study of the fruit of the Spirit, verse number 22. Today is one word. It is called joy. It says in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Now, that's where we're going to look today. I want to step back just for one second as we get started, and then I'll have a word of prayer with you. I want to start reading from verse 13. And I want to finish all the way at verse number 26, which is the end of your chapter. And as I read this to you, this whole passage, I want you to think about a couple of thoughts. Number one, it was about 1,967 years ago that this was written. That's a long time ago. Is this message relevant today? I want you to ask that as we go through this passage. Is this re- relevant today? And then do a, a little exercise and put your finger on there and just kind of pull it down the page and see if the ink is dry. Verse 13, but you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and they are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of angers, dispute, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Still wet? Ink still fresh? Heavenly Father, we've approached your word again today. The scripture itself describes itself as being living and active and powerful And sharper than any two-edged sword. I know, Lord, when you use it, it cuts down to the very heart and soul of all of us. Here today, we come before you with this very living word opened in front of us. And we need your direction. We need that work in our lives. We need to be more like Jesus. And we're going to learn about some very important things today because we are learning from your word. Help us to stay attentive to the Spirit's teaching and is directing in our lives and when we are through here this morning 
may it have such impact that we are different, different than where we started because you're at work in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for your constant faithfulness in this. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a little game that uh, they used to play on Sesame Street. If you remember Sesame Street. Maybe you still watch it. I don't know. Uh, the little song was, one of these things is not like the other. And they'd set four little pictures in front of you. And, and usually it was an apple, an orange, a banana, and a bicycle. And you'd have to decide which one doesn't match the other three. Well, some things don't seem to go together. You don't put cut roses in a vase of motor oil, for example. And here's an interesting contrast for you. Joy and a battlefield. The context of the battlefield. The topic today is joy. Very interesting combination, wouldn't you agree? We're going to look at the word joy here today. Uh, we have been studying a battlefield, though. A conflict between the flesh and the spirit, as verse 17 so uh, carefully and so accurately portrays this, that the flesh sets its desire. The flesh is against the spirit. And the spirit is against the flesh, and they are in opposition to one another. And that's a conflict within all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. There's an internal battlefield. And you know it as well as I do, don't you? The flesh is strong. And we're saying, well, how do we deal with that? Because we see the, the nature of the spiritual conflict. We see the victims of it. We see the horrors of it. We see the scars. We see all the remnants that are left after such terrible outbreaks of the flesh. And yet, now we're looking on this, the side we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be walking by the Spirit, aren't we? I'd say we're supposed to be. That is a command. And either we're obeying that or we're not. But we're told in verse number 16, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. He is our commander on this battlefield. He is the one we are to follow. And, and as we get into verse 22, rather than looking at a basket of fruit, folks, look at your ammunition pile here. Because he has given to us these things. And they're part of the conflict. They're part of the battle. And this is how things are accomplished. It's through the work of the Spirit. You see, we're going to be studying his strategy, and really the proof of his wisdom in these passages that we normally just make decoration. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And stop right there today. Joy. I want to keep something in your mind. I'm impressing it upon you and saying it every single time we come here. The fruit that is mentioned in verse 22 and 23 is in opposition to the deeds of the flesh. In verse 19, 20, and 21. It is in opposition to that. The deeds of the flesh are more than just the result of a fleshly walk. They are actually tools that drive wedges between people. And it infects others with sin. Look at that list in verse 19 to 21 and tell me which one doesn't hurt somebody. They do that. They're not sins of isolation. 
there are sins that always have a way of affecting other people. Well, the fruit of the Spirit is much like that, if you will take at least that much for a comparison. Sometimes we list them as really nice virtues, and they are. I mean, that's what our character should show. That should be our attitude and all the rest, too. But they're not isolated concepts, as if, well, I just need to work on my love a little bit, work on my faith a little bit, work on my peace a little bit. And most of us don't say work on my patience a little bit, but we probably need that too. But we talk about these things as if they're just individual events for us. Characters that we're going to just hang on ourselves. But I'd like to change your thinking a little bit beyond that, because all of these that are listed in verse 22 and 23 have a contagious aspect to them. They're not meant just to be for us personally, but they touch other lives. They affect other lives, just like sin does. So the Spirit's work does, and even more so. And certainly more beneficial, wouldn't you agree? For the seeds of the flesh drive wedges. The, deed, or the work of the fruit of the Spirit, it drives out the wedges. And it bonds lives together like they ought to be bonded. You see, the Galatians were warned. And I read you the passage, but all the way back to verse 15, about biting and devouring and consuming one another. And it's in this context that we find this list of the fruit of the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit. He doesn't say the answer to to the flesh is just to have love, or just to have joy or peace. But the answer to the flesh problem is walk by the Spirit. The evidence is the fruit. Okay? This is the evidence that you're walking by the Spirit. So we're not looking at decoration here, are we? When we go into verse number uh, 22 and 23. The decoration, like that bowl of apples you set out on the counter when people come over, so they don't see the candy bowl that's usually there. We sometimes set out these things, you know, just to, to give a good appearance, when all the while this fruit is not for you. Directly, it's the fruit of the Spirit operating in you, and it's not for you, it's for you and everyone else that the Lord puts you in, in, in contact with. I like to think of it that way. Because many times you don't see this point, and I want to make it very strongly here this morning, that what the Spirit does in you is for the good of others. It's for the good of others that He is doing this work. I want to show you something from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There was a group of uh, believers, we call them Corinthians, it was a, the church of God in Corinth. Excuse me. But move over to 1 Corinthians Excuse me. First Corinthians chapter 12 for a minute. This group of believers was among the most selfish, the most self-centered, the most sinful group that you're going to encounter in the New Testament, and we're remark we're we're just, you know, amazed every time we read that this church is believer it's made up of believers in Jesus Christ, calls them saints in chapter 1. And yet, if you go through the book, you say, I I don't see it. But it's true. And yet, 
they needed instruction on why they were given the Holy Spirit and the gifts of that Spirit in their lives. And they found out very early that it wasn't for them. It was for others. And in chapter 12, there's a whole list of things going on here about concerning spiritual gifts. It says in verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, but it's the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but it's the same God who works all things in all persons. And to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for yourself, right? No. I'm reading New American Standard. For the common good. Is that just yourself? No. The Spirit at work in you for everyone else's sake in your fellowship. Everyone else's sake in your, the community around you, your Christian environment. It's for them. It's the others that he has done this. Look at verse 12. For even as a body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, they are one body, so also is Christ. And he goes through a whole description here about the, how, how the Holy Spirit has put us in one body. And we're not separate from one another in that. Your part is important. And that's the stress he gives all the way down to verse number 30. Your part is important. It's for the good of everybody in the body. It's not done in isolation. And that's an important principle as we go through here. We could explain it here and say, okay, Paul, you're dealing with the Corinthians and they've got problems we know. But you know, if you go over to the book of Ephesians, I encourage you to look at Ephesians 4, and in verse 11 and 12 it says practically the same thing. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. He starts talking about gifts again. And he says, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For, here we come with the reason again. Why? Verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints. So what are those gifts for? It's not for the individual who has the gift, is it? It is for all those others. My gift was given to edify you. Your gift was given to edify me. We're given these gifts to equip one another. Especially these. Equipping the saints for the work of service to building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That means we've got a job. And it's a big job. And that's our goal. That you and I, all of us, look like Jesus Christ. How close are we getting? Do we still need the gifts in operation? I think so. Here's how Peter said it. 1 Peter chapter 4. Add one more to your thinking. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 and 11. It says, As each one has received a special gift, Employ it in serving who? One another. Do you see that? 
employer in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So whoever speaks is to do it as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter tells us what Paul has told the Ephesians, what Paul has told the Corinthians, and even what I believe Paul's telling the Galatians. The spirit that work in you, the manifestation of that spirit in you is for the good of others. The gift of the spirit in you is for the edification of others. The things that you are to equip them for. This is the service of love. This is the service we're called to. The fruit of the Spirit is part of that service. How are we going to love one another and serve one another apart from the work of the Spirit in our lives? That's what he told the Galatians. You've seen it. I read it to you. But end of verse 13 of chapter 5. Through love, do what? Serve one another. That's the context for the fruit of the Spirit. That's why he's done what he has done. He has not put that in there in your life. Love, joy, peace for decoration. It's for service. It's for service. See, the list is not just for your benefit. and That's what I'm trying to say. It's not so that you have a better attitude or a better day. These things are for service, so that the ministry of the Word of God might go forth, that people will be built up, that people will come to reflect more and more the character of Jesus Christ. That's the goal of the Holy Spirit in you. He's relentless, by the way. He will get it done His way. We are designed for service. Now, all of that to say, we're studying joy today, and guess what it's for? It's for service. It's for service. I'm going to show you that this morning. Because I want you to consider that simple little word, joy. We think, well, that should make this a happy sermon. Right? Everyone put on a smile. We're going to talk about joy today. Here's some principles I want to set before you. And I'm going to do this every single week. I did it with love two weeks ago. And I'll say it again here. And I'll say it every single time we come up with the next fruit on the list. This joy is not possible unless you're walking by the Spirit. That's what the context tells us. It is not possible unless you're walking by the Spirit. It is not produced by you. It's not your joy. It can't be maintained by you. He didn't hand it to you and say, now figure it out. It is not your joy. It's a fruit of who? Of the Spirit. That's a possessive case. It belongs to Him. It's His fruit. So, with that, I add the principles that you are not even to mingle your joy with His joy and come up with some hybrid there. This is not a mixture of anything that has flesh in it. This is the Spirit's joy. Not the pure joy. That's the true joy. It doesn't compromise. This joy does not. It it doesn't cooperate with the flesh. It does not. It's the Spirit's joy. Which all of a sudden sets us in a whole new department, doesn't it? 
when we start talking about joy. It's not ours, and it's not manufactured by us, and it's not, even to this extent, that partial joy is sufficient. The Holy Spirit doesn't just operate in partial ways. He's not satisfied with only a partial impact in our lives, and that's true of joy too. This joy comes from a right relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. It's the right relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is, should be, if you will call it this, the natural outcome of that relationship. So he never once, look at it, check, see if I'm right. He never once says, go out and make yourself joyful. Does he? Does he say, go out and practice joy? No. One command, walk by the Spirit. What is the result of following that? Joy. You see? This pastor is not telling you to be joyful today. I'm not telling you to go out there and work on that. I'm saying walk by the Spirit. That's what the text is telling us. The result is joy. You see, you, you can't take credit for this joy any more than I can. It's not produced by me. It's not produced by you. We don't own it. We're just clay vessels that God has stuffed his treasure inside of to work for his pleasure, to work for his glory. This joy is not for our benefit. Primarily, it's for the service that he's called us to. It's a ministry that we are designed for. So let's take a close look at joy for a minute. Uh, Kara is a word, or C-H-A-R-A, from Cairo, is a Greek word, to rejoice. We see a lot of words about rejoicing in Scripture. I even told you that as we started from a psalm about we're here to rejoice, right? It's a word for cheerfulness. It's a word for gladness. I like this definition, calm delight. Calm is a good word in front of that. I've got a little dog in the backyard that does not know the word calm. You've seen animals. You've seen children like that too, haven't you? Calm delight. Calm delight. There, there are lots of different words for joy in the New Testament. Different words. And some of them are, are quite expressive. Um, some of them are jump for joy kind of definitions. This is calm delight. Calm delight. Here's what I read in a commentator, a commentary, and I want you to just act like you're looking in a mirror. And when you hear these words, I want you to ask if this is something that rings true in your heart. Joy and peace are the normal state of the Christian. I read that. Do you know what I put next to that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Nine question marks. The normal state of a Christian is joy and peace. Now, looking at yourself in the mirror, how's that work on a Monday? Is that normal? Joy, peace. Is that normal on a Thursday night? Is that normal the way we operate? Is that normal state of the Christian? I think that's an interesting statement. Because with the Holy Spirit in us, it should be the result of our walk with Him. That should be the natural thing. But is this normal for us? That's where I, it sticks in my heart a little bit. It sticks right there. 
See, joy is manifested in some interesting ways, but I'm going to whittle it down to a handful of thoughts for you as we get started. Do you know joy in the New Testament is manifested as a response? A response to, to receiving something special. For example, the wise men came out and they saw the star, and guess what they did? They rejoiced. There is a word that, that speaks of great joy. They rejoiced with great joy because they saw the star. It was leading them to the, the king they were looking for. On the other end of the gospel stories, when the ladies came out of the tomb, they had spoken to the angel, and guess how they left that tomb after they heard that he is risen just as he said? It says they ran from the tomb with great joy. There's a response to what they had received. In Matthew 13, verse 20, an interesting little passage there, it's talking about the seed that's sown on the rock. We always say, well, that's not a good start for that kind of thing. It's seed sown on a rocky place. But this is how Jesus went on to say that. This is a man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Receives it with joy. Now, I don't suggest that we be rocky soil. Right? But I do ask, how do we receive God's word? Rocky soil people receive it with joy. Why should we be less than that? Should we not receive his word with joy? Isn't it something special to us? In First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, they talked about a, a church, a fascinating body of believers there, that were imitators of Paul. And they'd only had him around for about three weeks, but Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Most of the time when tribulation moves in, joy seems to move out. But this body of believers received the word with tribulation and with great joy. Jesus said again in Matthew 13, verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he hides it again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. It's a treasure to him. And there's joy in the receiving of it. Now, I said that before you, first of all, because joy does have that element, that when we receive something that's special to us, there's that joy that goes with that, Right? Now hold that thought for a minute. Do you know joy is also the result of faithful service? Faithful service. Jesus gave several illustrations of this, but the one I set before you, Matthew 25, verse 21, 22, and 23, this is Jesus talking about those who took out the talents and used them and came back and gave reports. And his master says to him in verse 21, Well done, good and faithful servant, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Hang on to that thought. Then he says, after this, uh, one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Twice he said it there in that passage. 
the joy of your master. Do you ever think that your faithful service brings the Lord joy? Think about that for a minute. Your faithful service, regardless of how great it is or how small it seems, according to this parable, brings him joy. It brings him joy. The joy of your master. The results of faithful service. The 70 were sent out by Jesus, and they performed different uh, tasks that he set them out to do. And when they returned, it said in Luke 10, verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And a handful of verses down, verse 21, this is how Jesus responded. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit, and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you hid in these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Jesus rejoiced in it. The Father rejoiced in it. Faithful service. Faithful service. Let me ask you this. Do you rejoice when you hear that somebody comes to know Christ as Savior? A couple of interesting things that I found also. One in the book of Acts chapter 15. The, uh, the apostles had been ministering. And they were, were drawn by the Holy Spirit to go into very uh, difficult, uncharted places as far as they were concerned. They had to minister to Samaritans of all people. And Gentiles, Syrians on top of it. And as they ministered, these people were responding to the word of God and receiving Christ as Savior. And they're heading back to Jerusalem to report it to the church because that, that was just a phenomenal thing. How could even a Gentile ever come to know Christ as Savior? That's incredible to them. And this is what they were doing in Acts 15.3. Therefore, being sent on the way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. This is good news. Gentiles, Syrians, Samaritans, were all coming to know Christ as Savior. It was good news to them. What do the angels do when one person repents? You know, that's said many times in the New Testament. Jesus said it. I tell you that same way, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now, what are those? Those are responses to events in the life of, well, the apostles, in the life of Christ, in the, in the salvation of others. They're responses to what God has done. And many of those are just incredible things. God has done this, and joy was the response. Now, it goes deeper than that. It is a response. But according to Romans fourteen seventeen, it is one of the chief characteristics of the kingdom of God. It's one of the chief characteristics. I'm going to read it to you, just so you say, well, what do you mean by that? R Romans 14, verse number 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, and you would expect that, right? And peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, we might have thought of other words than that, but that's the three characteristics listed here as the kingdom of God. Joy is a vital part of the Lord's program in our life, too. In John chapter 15, just a few hours before he was to be betrayed, led off to be crucified, he's telling his disciples the most essential things, I think, that they need to hear at the moment. And he says in John 15, verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Whose joy? His joy. I like that word, my joy. My joy may be in you. That's what he started with. And then in chapter 16, verse 24, he says, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy may be made full. He's calling them to ask of him when they go into service, because that's where they're going to find the answer, and that's where their joy is going to be made full. And then he follows this in John 17, and in verse 13, And this is his prayer before the Father on behalf of his apostles, and on behalf of all the rest of us who come to know Christ as Savior. He says in John seventeen thirteen, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. That was his prayer for you, as well as for the apostles, that his joy may be full in you. That's his prayer. That's what he prayed for regarding us. Now, do you realize that this kind of joy changes your perspective? You will notice in a couple of illustrations I'm about to read to you. Joy does not come because of trials. Joy is there already. It goes before the trials. It's the work of the Spirit in your life. But it gives trials a whole new perspective. James chapter 1, verse 2. Some of you know that one already. You've heard it enough and you say, well, let's avoid it for a minute. I'm not going to do it. James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all what? Joy. That's a new perspective. That's on trials. You know, that follows Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse number 34. Here's an interesting group of people. Because of their faith in Jesus Christ, they showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of their property. Because they knew they had a better possession and a lasting one. Trials come and trials go. How long should joy remain? This is the work of the Spirit in your, in your life. It's not trials that build the joy. It's the Holy Spirit that puts the joy. The trials test it. The trials test it. As you who bring up children and, and now grandchildren for some of you, what is your greatest joy regarding them? Some of you know where I'm going. Because John wrote it in his third epistle. He said in verse number four, I have no greater joy than this. To hear 
of my children walking in the truth. Now, all those things I read to you about joy so far, how many of them said, boy, I hope you just have a happy day? He's put it in light of our service, going out and faithfully serving our Lord. He's put it in light of those who have come to know Christ as Savior and how it brings us joy. He put it in light of those who receive the Word and their response is joy. He's put it in light of those who are undergoing trials and their response is the response of joy. You see, it's pretty intense when you think through the concept called joy. It's inseparable to the work that he's doing in our life. It's part of the service. We even sing the song, there's joy in serving Jesus. But this is what Paul said about it, and I'm going to take you to Philippians just for a few minutes. But in chapter number 1, look at the combination of words he puts together here. Verse number 25. Philippians 1, verse 25, Paul says this. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. What was his aim with them? Their joy in the faith. That was his target he was aiming for. Their joy in the faith. Now hold on to that. Because he goes in chapter 1 still, back up to verse 3, verse 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. His prayers were marked by this joy. His aim was their joy in the faith. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Boy, what an appeal that is to a church body. And then, I add one more, and it's not in Philippians, but it goes back to our Corinthian friends. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Just in case you think, well, Paul, you did that for the easy church. What do you think he said to the difficult church? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. See his intentional aim in these congregations? He was aiming at their joy in the faith, weren't they? Wasn't he? Their joy in their faith. Joy tied with faith. It's always going to be that way because joy is not tied to circumstances. Yet that's how we use it. Paul said it this way again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and verse 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that a great ordeal of affliction, and that a great deal of affliction, Their abundance with joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. These folks were were full of joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances. You see, joy is not about circumstance. It's about the Spirit. The Spirit at work in you. Here's how one commentator read it. 
Joy is a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ. It does not depend on circumstances, because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. That brings us back to the word faith, doesn't it? Do you trust He's sovereign? Guess what the result of that is? Joy. Here in Galatians, we're told we're to love one another. It's a horizontal service. If we don't, we bite, we devour, we consume one another. We turn our opportunities of freedom into deeds of the flesh. There is a battlefield going on here, and the remedy is walked by the Spirit, and the result is joy. Even on a battlefield, folks. Even on the battlefield. It's our service to other people that we do this thing. Because we don't manufacture it. It's not placed within ourselves. Joy is essential to the Christian walk. The Christian service. It's essential. It's indispensable. And if it's not at the core of what we're doing, then what value is it in what we're doing? Do you know what the opposite of joy is? You would say, bad day, right? Think it through. Envy. Joy is looking out for that other person, serving that other person. Guess what envy is? Looking out for me. In the deeds of the flesh, there's plenty of instances of envy. The walk of the Spirit... There's joy. Quite an opposite. You identify yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ. Is this joy we describe today in you? Is it evidence that the Holy Spirit is within you? Is it evidence that you are walking by Him? It comes from a right relationship. A right relationship with the Holy Spirit. We don't take credit for it, but we certainly should desire it, shouldn't we? We should want that. I'm going to read to you a quote I read to you probably a year ago. And I was reminded of it just the other day, and I said, oh, I've got to read this one again. Because as I'm talking to you about the Holy Spirit, I know what I'm asking you to do. When I say walk by the Spirit, we're not talking about samples here. Just a little bit here and a little bit there. This is my Sunday thing I do. We're talking about a commitment of your life to the walk with the Holy Spirit. Will He change you? Oh, yes, He will. This is the quote I read to you. A.W. Tozer had it at the end of his book called The Divine Conquest. And I want you to think about this. Are you sure you want to be filled with the Spirit? Who, though He is like Jesus in His gentleness and love, will nevertheless demand to be Lord of your life? Are you willing to let your personality be taken over by another, even if that other be the Spirit of God Himself? You see, if the Spirit takes charge of your life, He will expect unquestioning obedience in everything. He will not tolerate you the same self-sins, even though they are permitted and excused by most Christians, by self-sins, I mean self-love, self-pity, self-seeking, self-confidence, self-righteousness, self-aggrandizement, self-defense. You will find the Spirit to be in sharp opposition to the easy ways of the world and of the mixed multitude within the precincts of religion. 
He will be jealous over you for good. He will not allow you to boast or swagger or show off. He will take the direction of your life away from you. He will reserve the right to test you, to discipline you, to chasten you for your soul's sake. He may strip you of many of those borderline pleasures with other, which other Christians enjoy, but which are to you a source of refined evil. Through it all, he will enfold you in a love so vast, so mighty, so all-embracing, so wondrous, that your very losses will seem like gains, and your small pains like pleasures. Your flesh will whimper under his yoke, and cry out against it as a burden too great to bear, and you will be permitted to enjoy the solemn privilege of suffering to fill up that which is behind in the afflictions of Christ, in your flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Now with the conditions before you, do you still want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Heavenly Father, we stand before you with these words fresh in our minds. We've read in your word the command that we are to walk by the Spirit. We've discussed for a little while the result of that walk, which includes joy. And how that will change our perspective on everything that goes on around us. And it will change our direction in what we do from a, a occupation with self to an occupation of service to others. This is the joy we should aim for in the lives of other believers as they come to know Christ and walk closer with the Spirit. But it's certainly something that reflects where we are today too. For when we read the command, walk by the Spirit, we are challenged by it. Once again, we're challenged by it. He doesn't want an occasional walk. He doesn't want a, a casual walk. He wants a committed walk. And that's where our hearts are tested right now. And I pray, Lord, as we stand before you as a congregation, we're not here just to be a sample Christian, but to be one filled with the Spirit and walking in His way. We seek that joy. We seek that outlook. We seek that response to the things that you are doing in our lives. We want to be joyful when the word is given to us. We want to be joyful when some come to know Christ as Savior. We want that response, but we want more than anything to walk with the Spirit so that this response is instilled in our lives. Lord, show us again where we are with you. And if there's need right now, right here, for us to rededicate that part of our life to walking with you, do it. Challenge us with it. Show us again where we are that we might walk closer to our our Savior. Walk with our Holy Spirit. Lord, do your work in our midst, we pray. Change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.